Roll for initiative. All right, pants people, you're up. So here's your options. You can either dodge action like a like a chump, like a coward, and not engage with our social media, our Discord, all this stuff at all, or you could commit full assault. Get in there. Get on our Instagram, our Facebook, our Discord. What else we got? Instagram. I said that one already. We got a TikTok. I don't know. Go do that stuff. It's cool. We're doing things all the time. We're working on a YouTube eventually. We'll get there. But yeah, check us out, pants people. And thank you so much for listening. See you guys are the best. Uh, uh, your turn's over. was a, a bit of a disappointment. There is still so much to look forward to this evening in the city. Music and dancing on every street corner. Food carts everywhere that are thick with spice. And those more interested in the history of the celebration, shows and reenactments of La Catrina's blessings will be available to all around Fiesta Town. There's also word of a, a closing by party at the manor of Martha Ironworks CEO Eastman Del Prado. We've been asked to keep all names and known guests out of the show, but uh, I can say it is an impressive crowd. Now, as an agent of the Crystal Network, I should reiterate that Papalati on Hill is off limits to anybody without an invite. Seriously, folks, don't get any ideas of party crashing. Martha's Guardian Armors patrol the area heavily to protect the homes and properties of the Tresina and their allies. We've seen tragedy after tragedy every year. Someone caught up in the atmosphere get mistaken for a criminal element and killed as a result. Now, I'm sure the idea of a secret high society party is tantalizing. I, I get it, I do. But getting in just ain't worth your life. The night of the remembered may be a celebration of death. But I think we'd all prefer to see Santa Claus revelers live to see the morning light. All right, gentlemen, you're on the streets. It's raining. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Tip-tapping down the sidewalk, and would you know it, a gentleman comes out of an alley, says, hey, kid, come here, to you. And you come here, because I, that, that's what happens. Because that's and the he, story. Well, uh, sto- no, okay, shh. Oh, he opens his jacket up. What's he got in there? It's watches? No, it's tickets. You see tickets lining his pocket, tickets to anywhere in the world, round trip, that day, where do you go? Any feasible location in the world that this man could take you on his magical little jacket journey, where do you go? Probably South Korea. That was a really fast answer and a really interesting one. Elaborate, sir. Yeah. South Korea looks really cool. I mean, it's yeah. super it expensive to go there. Really? Is it? hmm Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it's a pretty expensive place. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's it? Um, I mean, it looks beautiful. <laughs> it looks beautiful. I'd like to see, uh, you know, a different culture. Um, yes, sell this man, okay? He's got the tickets, but if you don't fucking sell your desire to him, he's going to take him to someone who cares more than your melancholy, half-baked reasoning. Yeah, I couldn't do that on a good day. He scoffs at you and goes, you, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, you, kid. Uh, hey, you, kid. I got tickets to anywhere in the world, and this guy doesn't get one. First off, I'm not a kid, bitch. Okay, well. That was the, that was the first thing that turned me off. <laughs> I, little, I thought about saying something about that. That was a little rude. Hey, hey, you're out of the scene. Your ponytail's gone. You're right. Ponytail <laughs> whipping around the corner. You left. You ran away. Um, you. First choice would be New Zealand. 
that's a cool one. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a cool one. Give me your reasoning. <laughs> Some people don't like to give good reasons when they, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Shire? That's a pretty good reason. Yeah. It's a good reason. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. Uh, second choice would be Tokyo. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I like that one a lot too. Yeah. That I, one, that's yeah. after my own heart. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to go there and, and feel the electricity. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, really anywhere in Asia would be super cool. It'd be oh, cool. yeah. I, I mean, also, different culture, different food, different, you know, the, the cherry blossoms, like, I'm into it. So, all right. I'll, I'll, connecting to this, I'll tell you mine. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is. I want to say it's in the Kyoto area, but like there is a theme park in Japan called, I believe, Dragon Quest World. Oh, it's Dragon sure. Quest Land. Okay, so I am, oh. I don't know if on the show, I am a massive, massive fanboy of the Dragon Quest series yeah. of games. Love them to a million, billion pieces. Love that series so much. There's a, there's a, there's a park where you can just go through and like the park itself is playing an RPG. You go to different spots and different you, you run a, a turn-based encounter and you're going on a whole adventure. And, but it's like a adventure where you walk from place to place. It sounds like the best thing that could ever happen to a person in the entirety of the world. <laughs> I want that so badly. So is that your, is that your answer? If this man approached me, which he can't because I am the man. So it's metaphor. What if I am the man? Holy shit. Power move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would. That's what I tell you. That's what I tell you, Mister Sir. Hey, kid, where you want to go? I want to go to Dragon Quest Park, please, sir. Please. Tell Did me you why. Just say that as Again. a kid. Yeah, <laughs> it'll help me get in. <laughs> it's a childlike experience of wonder. <laughs> you must be this short to ride the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fight dragons and. So how about we all go to Japan together someday? Dude, that would be. I would take you all to Dragon Quest Park. Dude, we have the best time shit. in the world. I swear, it's gonna be such a good time. We would paint that town. We mm-hmm. paint that town red with the blood of dragons. That's all I got. That's all, right. all I got. Well, it's it's uh, <laughs> currently November 2023. Let's try for the next, what, four or five years? Dude, I'm in. I'm in. I've been wanting to go for my whole life. I would be absolutely down. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, <clears throat> serious podcaster. All right, guys. <laughs> we're serious podcast with a serious story. You want to talk about a serious story? Yeah, let's get serious. Got any fucking mail for us? Uh, No, no mail right now. How lame. Get better, pants people. Right. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what is that? What was that? Why do you? Have to... <laughs> you got the Dresden laugh. The Dresden laugh. All keyed oh, up, ready no. to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I need that, but I also need. I also need just an out of the blue. Meeps. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> Meeps. Oh no. Oh, heart the point. We're taking quotes and putting them on the thing. And that is so dangerous and and funny. And <laughs> Oh, no. Bit by bit, we're going to get a little more zany. We're going to be a serious podcast here pretty soon. Serious podcasters. We are serious podcasters. It's time for a serious flashback. It's not that serious, actually, but hey. We've had, we've had serious, sir. <laughs> 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 I didn't plug in Sirenscape because I'm a serious. Hang on. Well, there's two serious podcasters this, in this hey, room. This is a mess. Hold on. This is a mess. <laughs> hold no, hold on. <laughs> We've got to do two tonight. <laughs> we got to do tonight. We'll tell you why next episode. Maybe pause the recording for like half a jiffy second. You know, give me a, <laughs> give me a second. Half a bo- jiffy second. bullets over there. <laughs> it's not. Everybody's going wrong. Give me your button back. Do you have any buttons? Why? Because it wasn't even me. It was you. It was Jeremy. You had a slider on. <laughs> the whole time. I, had, I, had, I turned up the wrong fader. <laughs> <It was not. laughs>
professional podcasters. <laughs> you guys are pooping all over me. Think anybody's still listening? No, no, let's do a flashback. <laughs> I want to open up now on a familiar site. I want to open up on the harsh, crowded streets of Cerule's low city. I know we've been here before, but let's go back real quick. Maybe even a couple more times. We see night is swiftly overtaking the sky. The stars begin to shine and twinkle over the great shadows of towers that stand to the east of this portion of the city. But despite the bleak atmosphere, we can hear the muted sounds of celebration emanating from a large, nondescript structure tucked deep into the city's bowels. A building of crumbling brick, single story, but longer and wider than most around. Now, low city pubs have a habit of hiding in plain sight. They look like any other old warehouse or enclosed tenement that dot the city's slums, but there's no sign of visible advertisement. Uh, advertisement can bring, bring bad crowds, wrong crowds, you know, corrupt high city guard, criminal gangs, people eager to bully and steal from any place that seems to be holding its own. But the good people, the ones that can be trusted, and the ones that still try to seek out joy at the end of a long, exhausting day of labor, they, they know where to go. And among these many small bastions of meager joy hidden throughout this low city... Micken's Pub is one of the most well-respected. So we move in towards this building, towards the sounds of revelry. We push through the grain of the wooden door, and we are among the people, drinking and chatting, one woman awkwardly attempting to lead the crowd into a folk song. Nobody joins, but many turn their attention towards her, their, their creased and weary eyes carrying the shadow of a smile. And beyond all of this, beyond the, the makeshift bar built on cloth-covered crates, we see a, a copper-skinned dwarven child sitting over a trapdoor set into the floor. He sighs, his eyelids drooping, closed, and <laughs> faint snores rolling out from his nose before his eyes flutter open. He shakes himself awake again. This child is, of course, a younger Mulligan Sfulligan, around eight years old. We hear him whisper to himself, just, No sleep, no sleep, no sleep. Jules, Jules is counting on me to hold this door. Now, before we continue, we should address the Jules uh, sort of lore, Jules' timeline really quick. See, I, as a longtime television fanatic, absolutely love flashback scenes that resonate with the events of an episode, but are told out of chronological order. So I have a blast piecing these sort of timelines together, but that is a, it's a lot easier in a visual medium. And uh, we've had a number of Jules flashbacks at this point, as well as Dresden flashbacks that sort of intertwine with them. And I really want to start setting the record straight about when and where they go down in the timeline, because there's more to come. So up to this point, I'll say it looks like this. We had our first flashback of Jules early in his 13th year uh, in the darkness. The single candle, this dark ritual, uh, uh, something trying to, trying to invite itself into him, screaming at him to open his eyes. Then, very shortly after that, we have Jules meeting Dresden. Uh, about two years after this time, sort of late in his 15th year, we have the scene with the black candle where Jules gains his uh, abilities, which we've labeled as the shadow touch feet, where his hand is sliced open, the wax poured in, some dark ritual giving him power. And not long after that, at age 16, I think we said 14 in the episode, that was my mistake, I realized, age 16, Jules meets Chester after a few days in the low city. What we're going to pick up now is four years later than that. Jules is 20 years old. This is four years before the Sapphires fall and this adventure begins. At this point, Chester, Fibrosis, and Mulligan have all joined his ranks. And currently, Jules and the gang are dealing with a peculiar little problem. So, Jeremy, 
I imagine at this point, Jules is sort of uh, in your gang or starts seeing this almost like the Robin Hoods of the lower city. Yeah. Scoundrel kids that go around stealing from the high city folk, conning them, getting what you can, Mm -hmm. hoarding it, giving it to the people that need it the most. We've already, yeah, we've definitely already established our shenanigans at this point. Yeah. I love it. And I think you are, in that way, sort of revered as heroes by so many people in need. Mm -hmm. And in holding these items and being these heroes, you will, of course, need to to store your scores between jobs because you need to give them to the people who need them most. And sometimes you have a good haul. Um, I imagine you you have stores of money, of food, of clothing, various basic comforts that can help the people. Um, so you need you need safe houses. We talked about one before uh, when you met round stuff. We talked about like you, know, you had these various sort of safe houses you could store your things at where you'd kind of camp out. And I imagine you're having to move pretty consistently. So you found a lot of allies here amongst the people. And a number of them have given you sort of safe houses. And amongst them, you have, of course, Micken and his pub. You, uh, you've managed to store your stuff down in the basement below. Um, the revelers up top, they don't know about this. But down here in the dark, you are free. But there's been a problem. At the last couple of safe houses you had, the one before this and this one here, things have been going missing in the night. Fibro has been avid about recording your inventory, mostly to make sure Mulligan doesn't eat too much of it. And he has noticed a pattern of things disappearing, mostly food but some money and some clothing as well. And now in the safe houses, you're starting to feel this again. You realize that it's a continuing problem. Something is wrong. And the time has come to take action against this threat. What action do you think Jules would take? Jules and the rest of the guys are pretty pretty street savvy. So I think they kind of have an idea of what's going on. So they're going to do a stakeout. Hell yeah. They're going to stake out the joint. All right. Even even in what seems like the most private of places, shit's still going missing. So we pan down beneath Mulligan, where he sits on this trap door. One of the two exits to this sort of basement layer. As we move mm-hmm. down, we see this dimly lit basement just loaded with all sorts of crates and barrels and things. Some of them belonging to Micken, but many of them belonging to you guys. There is one more exit, a staircase towards the back that leads to sort of cellar uh, entrance um, behind the structure. This is closed up, locked. Do you have a guard on this door? Chester's there. Okay. So Chester is waiting outside, sort of poised to go, but I don't think he's too concerned. Not that someone's going to break in here, because I think you've noticed that these entrances haven't been bothered. No. So where is Jules? Jules is hiding in the shadows behind a crate. (laughs) Probably been here. Invisible. Oh, shoot. Yes, you have it by now. Actually, you know what? You know what? No, no, no. No? I'm going to alter this. He's, okay. not, he's not sitting behind a crate. He's just sitting on top of the crate, but he's invisible. <laughs> That's amazing. He, he went invisible before they came down this time. That is clever. Oh, devious. So you guys go down, store your items, and everyone kind of makes out like they're leaving. Things are all closed up. One door watched by Chester. One door sat on by Mulligan. Fibro is who knows where. He's in his books. Yeah, he's reading. He's in his books. He's, he did his part. Uh, but Jules is here, invisible, waiting and waiting. And as the night goes on and everything goes silent, as the sounds of revelry above begin to fade, people going home, the bar closing, you hear a soft scrape, something moving towards the back. And you realize the perpetrator has been here. You knew the perpetrator had been here, hiding amongst all of this, waiting for his chance. You watch 
as slowly a small figure, maybe a five-year-old child, begins to move across the floor carefully. Eyes falling on the exact crate you're sitting on because I imagine some good stuff in it. Oh, yeah. As he grows closer, you can see green skin, pointed ears, the features of a half-orc child. And very quietly, he moves over to open the lid of the crate. What do you do? What you doing there? He just reaches behind his belt, tries to pull out like a, a tiny little like dagger, like comically small, and just, where, where are you? I'm, I'm dangerous. You don't want to, you better give me your stuff. Where? He's just like looking around all over, trying to spot you. It sounded so close. Sorry, you can put that down. You're among friends here. It's okay. <laughs> and then Jules reveals himself. Uh, he almost drops the weapon, like flailing hands, and he kind of like leaps backwards and then sort of points it towards you again. You see his eyes look towards the, the, the cellar door that Chester's manning, and he makes a move like he's going to go to- run towards it. Mm-mm-mm. Hey. Yeah, put, put the knife down. You're, you're safe. No one's safe anywhere. You're safe here. Trust me. And he kind of look over at Chester. Yeah, Chester's kind of like steps in, sits down in front of the stairs, kind of like nodding, waiting. <sighs> Looks towards the trap door and realizes there too. It's like one door's manned. I'm Jules and uh, this is Chester. What's your name? He drops the weapon, puts his hands behind his head and just in a very adult manner just says, you can torture me all you want. I won't tell you anything. He's five. <laughs> <laughs> Do your worst. Nah, nah, nah. There's gonna, there's gonna be none of that here. He just glaring. He doesn't. He doesn't trust you. He's like. He's like scared. What do you? Uh, what do? You, what are you after? Things. We got things. We can share these things. You don't gotta take them in the shadows. What? What's it cost? Everything costs something here. In the streets. All All it costs is friendship, man. You got our back, we got yours. He, I think he like almost bewildered, looks towards Chester, who just kind of shrugs, says, hey, he's telling the truth, man. I know it's crazy, but that's Jules. You're going to like him. And hey, you got skills. Honestly, took us a while to catch you. And even just now, you were quiet. We could use someone like that. Right, Jules? Yeah, and you know, we... We take from people that deserve to be taken from. Deserve justice. Yeah. 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 So if I if I protect you, I can have some stuff. We all get some stuff. But the most important part is we get a family. There's this moment hearing that word of just longing in his eyes. Family. And he reaches out, small, shaking, sort of rough little hand. A miskin. Miskin muddlehopper. And Jules reaches out a hand, shakes it. It's really good to meet you, miskin. Welcome. <laughs> so Jules, you're just from the corner. We did it. Caught the guy, got a new member. What do you say, you want to celebrate? Hell yeah. Let's do it. Make it may have closed up, but this stuff's still up there. Oh, yeah. You thinking the usual? Oh, man, we got to get Miskin in on this. Miskin, Miskin. Uh, what? What are you? What's Have you ever heard of a cherry delight? Cherry, cherry what? Come on, come on. I'll, we'll make you one. Come on. Come on up. 
And I think like with that, you see Jules and Chester begin to move towards the ladder um, by banging on it to wake up Mulligan, who definitely fell asleep. You hear the snoring <laughs> to the other side. Oh no, we're trapped. <laughs> As you move away, I think we just kind of pan over to little Miskin, eyes wide and watching a cherry delight. And we pan away from this scene. Fade to black. Jules, as we return to the present, to the borderlands of Saint-Satian, and to this nice little pukeria, pukeria, don't look at me. Nice little bar. I can't help you. In the town of Mupazul, we cut to you. Now we're in this cool, sleek, dark, plus one studded leather armor. Uh, and I imagine just like sort of packing the last of what you need into your handy haversack, your gift from Coley Sr. It is 5 a.m. on the second day. We're on the second day, guys. Day two. Woo. Took a while. We're here. Oh, man. Wait, <laughs> no. Wait, the whole time we've been on San Satian? Wait, yeah. it's, seriously? Yep. Holy shit. You, Zebulon and Jules arrived on Santa wow. at, I believe it was 9 o'clock p.m. on day zero. So, like, I so we, we don't did, believe We you. did not give enough character death processing time. Then. Dude, I think Holy we have, shit. like, I think we have, like, literally, I mean, it's all, it's it all must numb. be, like, 24 hours of content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, I mean, it's just a lot of numbness because, like, that's, I think what you're dealing with. Like, you're, you're yeah. pushing, it's, it's a lot of denial and it's pushing a, through. And, yeah, it's coping mechanisms. And everyone, everyone's yeah. been doubling down on these missions. Jean, I mean, his whole thing is, like, I'm going to save Jules. I'm going to save Jules because he knows that, right. like, this just right. happened. It's so fresh. Well, there's also a point where we have to sort of, like, you know, suspend our reality and understand we're playing a game. Oh, I know. You know? Yeah. No. Hey. No. <laughs> it's all genius instead and of, Instead of, like, my best friend died yesterday, but okay, I'm going to continue on this adventure right now. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, this is just a very short while after the previous scene. Uh, Crispin, I imagine you're still sitting out behind the Pukeria, um, still smoking your smoke rings. We're going to get to you. We're going to get to you. we got a lot to say to you, Crispin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, and we know Dance and Arhawan have not returned quite yet from wherever they had gone. Right now, Jules, you still feel the exhaustion of Sereno. You'll feel it until around 6 o'clock a.m. when it will whoo, vanish. How, how many points am I at? Uh, I believe you're at three. Okay. Wow, we... Okay. It could have been a lot worse. You passed yeah. your last save. That was good. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm not overly concerned just yet because it's 10, right? I, I think so. Yeah, it's 10, 10, right? 10, we need to die. 10, 10 is death. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can resolve things fast, you know, no matter what failure you could have tonight, potentially, it might be okay. Oh, look, there's Miskin. Let's go. Hey, only 30% oh. of the way to death. I ignore <laughs> that fact most days. <laughs> oh, no. Don't. Don't do this. Don't. Don't you math me. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what kind of day you're having out there, but I hope you didn't need that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Jules, what do you do? You know it's about time. You know, light's going to hit the sky pretty soon. You guys want to leave pretty soon. Kind of still waiting on people. Where are we at again? We're in... You are in the Pukiri. You're downstairs. You just packed all your stuff. You're ready to go. And it's a bar. Yes. Jules is drinking an ale. At 5 a.m. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we do it. <laughs> oh, no, I love... <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> you do it. You're paid to do it. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think he's just sitting at the bar alone. Um, okay, fine. 
drinking a water. No, no, no. You tell your tell your truth, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let my surprise change Jules' story. Or sorry, uh, yeah, Jules' story. Yeah, he's just sitting silently at the bar by himself. Okay. So your bag slump beneath you. You're just kind of drinking at the bar, and you hear the saloon door open behind you. He doesn't even turn around. Welcome back. You just hear a, hmm, drinking already. Seems like an appropriate time. Pour me something. You're not going to like it, but okay. And he uh, he pours what he's got, which is just your standard, standard ale. <laughs> she sort of glides over to the bar, kind of leans up next to you, picks up the glass, and, uh, this will not do. I told you. Yes, you did. And she passed it over to you. Drink this one, too. All right. Um, and I think she kind of goes behind the bar, starts fishing around, and picks up this bottle of, you know, the more standard pulque. Sniffs it. This is good. This will be good. I've been uh, speaking with the owner of the tavern. I paid them off for the damages for the night. Whatever we've taken, everything is cleared. They were terrified of that monster we traveled with, as you should be. I can see right through Arhalan. He's not a monster. Hmm. He's just got some, uh, he's got some walls to break down. And he'll get there. If he's anything like Zebulon, he'll get there. She gets this kind of far off look, kind of staring at the, the back wall, and then nods slowly. Zebulon, your grief must be fresh still. But perhaps I can help. Will you come with me? We have some time before we have to go. And this is important. It may save our lives later. I'll explain when we get outside. Yeah, sure. You lead the way. And she moves out, leading you out the front door, around sort of like towards the, the, the side of the local area with this kind of an open uh, wall. And you notice something there. Looks like a couple, a number of small stone altars and a path leading over to them. Um, you see, as Dance approaches them, she fishes a, a, a sort of satchel that she didn't have before, um, sort of down from around her arm, and begins to, like, open it up and starts on two of these altars, decorating them with a number of things. You see a number of, like, candles, uh, sort of inscription running down the, the wax, as well as uh, a number of marigolds. She starts decorating the altars with around the bottom. Tonight, Jules, the celebrated dead of San Satyan will return to their loved ones. This works only if you build what's called an ofrenda. These are small personal altars that work as invitations into the feud plane and beyond. I, I must build an ofrenda for Mateo before the night comes. And if all should work, he will come to us tonight. He will help us tonight. And I invite you to do the same. I, and she kind of puts her hand up. I, I don't want to get your hopes up. Zebulon... He cannot come back. Not like Matteo can. There is a spark in those raised on Satatian, born here. Those with my blood. Like Katrina, she left it to my people many, many, many years ago, generations ago. And every year we have been able to come back, but those from off-world, they do not have this spark. Even so, though, I find it is comforting to create an altar to those lost. And she gestures towards the second one she's decorated. I will walk you through it. Yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. 
here. And she hands you a, a number of marigolds. Decorate as you will around the base. And you just kind of start following her lead and decorating them? Yes. So two of you are leaning side by side in front of these stone altars decorating. I think there's like a moment of silence and then... Jules, do you... Do you know what happens after you die? Are you aware of Zebulon's journey? No, I mean... Dead is dead. It's not so true here. Or anywhere I found. Whether or not you have the spark, the passing is peaceful. It is it is a good thing. He will have found himself in the fugue plain, a vast gray landscape. Those who come back, they remember the fugue plain well. Nothing nothing beyond it, but they remember feeling this warmth and this calm as a, a pillar of light, a beacon on the horizon called to them. They remember walking in a trance, letting the, the warmth of the light envelop them and take them. And they remember joy. They don't remember where from. They don't remember what happens beyond the light. I don't think anyone really remembers, but there is joy. For those who have lived good lives, there is joy in Zebulon was good. But how do you know that? Just with us, we can speak with the dead. Well, I got a question for you then. Please. When they come back... Is that even really them? She kind of smiles and looks down. My mother and father. Mateo and I lost both of them years ago. The first year they came back, I had the same thought. Will it be them? Will they remember everything? Their form has changed. They are skeletal. I don't have seen olvidados around, those who death forgets to reclaim at the night's end, but... I'm not talking about their body, what they look like. I'm talking about their soul. It was them, Jules. When they spoke, when she held me, it was after that that Matteo and I decided to take on the monikers of Dance Macabre and Demilich to honor the dead in the arena, to honor La Katrina and her gift. I would bring them back too, but I do not have all the tools. But Matteo, I can bring back Matteo. First things first, you need something Zebion would love, something he would treasure in life, a gift, to invite him. Do you have anything like this? Jules will go back into the bar, grab as much food as he can. <laughs> um, oh, food, yes. So, and then he's, he's going to come out with the, with the tray of food. And, <laughs> it's just like nondescript food because Zebulon was that, that yeah, guy. Yeah. He, just, he just eat until he puked. <laughs> um, that's, um, and he's gonna, that's a lot to put on. No, do it. <laughs> just, just, just like so much food for the altar. Dance, if you knew Zeb, this is not enough. <laughs> How is he so small? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Jules comes with the food and, and kneels down at the altar. And he's got this, he initially has this expression like, this is so fucking stupid. <laughs> like, what the hell am I doing? But he's doing it because, you know, it's dance and he would do anything for dance. <laughs> Let's let's just put that out in the open, and uh, he puts the food down, and kind of stares down at it for a second. So you're, just, you're just loading this altar with food. And I think you can feel Dance's eyes on you, and this kind of soft smile playing at her lips. She sees, and me just like watching your expression and knowing that like you're not overly enjoying this, but knowing that that in her way that, that this might still help. And once you're done, she sort of nods, and then you see she takes that bottle of pulque that she took from the bar, 
and places it on hers. Mateo loved Mipazo's poke. Now, the next part, an image. Something that looks like them. It isn't overly necessary, but it helps a lot. Jules pauses to think for a second, then reaches around. There's, there's a moment of realization. Hmm? And then he reaches around to his back pocket and pulls out the doll of Zebulon. That, that's so cute. It's <laughs> <laughs> really so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, Jules will kneel down in front of the altar and hold the doll out in front of him. I love you, Zeb. And he'll put the doll on top of the food. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yes. <laughs> it's just like this, I love how crude this altar must look, but it's also just so Zebulon. It's excellent. Just an action figure and a pile of nondescript food. <laughs> All right, now there. I, I got everything on there. He's supposed to come back now, right? She just looks at you sadly and puts a hand on your shoulder. I'm sorry, Jules. But just because they're not going to come back does not mean we should not honor them and remember them. And this, this is a great honor to Zebulon. It's so Zebulon. I did not know him well, but I can see it. He was the best person I knew. I think there's a moment, a long moment between you. And then she finally just slowly pulls her hand away and looks back towards her own altar. I have no image of Mateo, but I have something else that might just work just as well. And Dance reaches up and unties the back of her mask and pulls her mask off her face, gently lowering it down onto the altar. And for the first time, you look at Dance Macabre and you truly see Gabriela Cortez. Her youth was apparent even without the mask, but now you can clearly see the face of a woman in her early 20s. You see smooth girlish features betrayed by such intense eyes, so dark brown they border on black. And those eyes close, she just whispers a soft prayer. Please, heal me, Mateo. Your people need you. Your sister needs you. And she rises to her feet. It's done. They are very good friends. Player Jeremy forgot that she was actually wearing a mask the whole time. She's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a luchadora. I, I, yeah, I think, I, I, think, I think as she's doing this, Jules is no longer like paying attention to the ritual that she's actually doing. <laughs> and he is just wide-eyed. As she, uh, as she gets to her feet and kind of like dusts off her choreo dress, just kind of looks over to you and just kind of smiles. He does like a little, uh, like the corner of the mouth, like half-cocked smirk. <laughs> what? You like what you see? I, 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 keep, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Roll your tongue back in, Jules. <laughs> Her eyes are like still locked on you, still smiling. Do you know what I saw in you, Jotorosh? Back on Sosanko, in the market? Couldn't have been anything good, but uh, go on. Oh, no, nothing good at all. <laughs> you pushed me into helping with your distraction. You sang to me on the spot in public. Do you have any idea how mad that made me? Such infuriating boldness. The sheer audacity of your words. Men have made advances on me for years. 
Sarapia, for instance, has tried hundreds of times to impress me, but nobody has annoyed me nearly as much as you. In that, there's courage in that. I could break you. Right now, even. That's why I like you. And she just kind of smiles. If Serapio heard any of this, you know he'd have you assassinated in a day, right? Does it frighten you? Some things are worth the risk. I thought you'd say that. I think she moves a little closer to you. I'm blushing. <laughs> are my friends going to kiss? <laughs> I don't know. Does she want me to kiss her? I don't know. It's up to you. I mean, what do you want to do? She kind of just moves a little closer, almost okay. like... She's, she's got something. I don't know if you want to roll an insight check. You know what you want here. Yeah, yeah. let me roll an insight. Roll an insight let, check. Let, let me roll an insight. Let's let's see what we're working with. Hell yeah. 19. Uh, there's humor in her eyes. She's playing with you. Now, there is definitely feelings there. But she's also having fun with you. Okay, so Jules will give a playful nudge with his shoulder. I think she cocks out a little bit. Not going to make the first move, Jules Roche. Good. I am a luchadora of San Tatian. I will be making the first move. And she spins around, starts stepping playfully away, and gestures back to you two. Come along. Jules gets up. <laughs> Doesn't say anything. And follows. As Dance reaches the edge of the alley, kind of moving onto the street, she stops, just halting in her step. Uh, raises a palm towards you, and you see her head sort of snaps towards the towards the sky. And she gets sort of glower in her eyes, and you immediately read the the mood is fully killed. And a moment later, you see a very glum-looking Arhalan <laughs> flying overhead and coming down to land, uh, just in front of the Mukeria. You give me a dance scene <laughs> and an Arhalan? What the fuck? <laughs> I think he actually more just, he, he more looks towards you guys. Day is almost upon us. Are you ready? I'm always ready. And he just sort of nods and storms away. And we're going to follow Arhalan. We're going to follow Arhalan as he moves through the building, looks around, maybe sniffs the air, smelling smoke. And when they're bursting out the back door where Crispin Dubois sits. Crispin, let's talk about you. Let's talk about Crispin. We left off last session. You had this development in your powers. Your augury spell essentially like gaining a second feature. It's doing something it doesn't normally do. The, the, the sort of surge of power you normally feel when you cast it echoed that you saw this... Uh, second symbol up here after your first wheel and woe, traditional symbols, family. You don't understand the symbol, what it means. You don't understand what the, where the power, where it came from. Why, why the change? There were set rules, you thought. Why are they changing now? And perhaps you're lost in, in, in this sort of thought as the door behind you slams open in this just enormous half-dragon just steps out behind you, sort of stomping out onto the porch. Good morning, Ahon. <clears throat> breathes out a little bit of flame and smoke I gather we'll be leaving soon we will soon the others are about ready to go but and he's just like seems different off like he's been away sort of fuming and cooling down and there's something more thoughtful about him now as he's come back I kind of just assumed he was away killing somebody <laughs> <laughs> no fresh blood on him it seems <laughs> tell me Crispin, 
I have seen you change your form, become a, a monstrous beast. From where do you derive your power, your magic? Well, the, uh, the spirits and the sprites all around us, I, I believe I get my powers from them, from nature, if you will. You believe? I... You don't know your source of power? I haven't entirely figured it out, but I am grateful. Hmm. I used to wield some magic as well, and I knew my source. An oath sworn when I was a younger man. Not an oath to the shield bears, but an oath to myself, to my brother, to devote myself to the protection of the innocent. I wanted to stand for those who could not stand for themselves. I wanted to stand for Zebulon. And this gave me power, magic from the gods, and from my resolve, my heart. But in my duties as a shield bearer, I served an evil purpose. I gave children over to the LaRoche family. Even after I learned what they really are, I could have defied orders, but I didn't. I had thought at the time that sacrificing my role in the shield bearers would lead to, to a path of greater loss. And I was a fool. I lost my powers soon after. On the last day, I spoke to my brother. Have you ever lost someone, Crispin? Have you ever lost someone you cared about? Crispin's head sort of tilts away as he's seeing flashes. Just these horrible things. Monsters in the fog. I have known loss. Yes, of course. Tell me. Did they hate you when they died? Did they die believing you hated them? No, I surely hope not. But Ahalan, I, I don't believe... I don't believe Zebulon ever hated you. Ever could hate you. Maybe he should have. Because... Small smile cracking on his lips. Because maybe I do hate him. Even now. I hate him. Because I needed him. That doesn't I... matter. That doesn't matter, Ahlan. He was your brother, and he loved you always. I know it. You don't know us. You don't know things I said to him. I think I could pick up a little on his character. That's why I speak with such confidence. You could see it in the way he carried himself. There was honor there. Honor and love and devotion to his friends and to his family. I suppose I'm glad that he did not forget everything I taught him. Now come, the sun begins to light the sky. We must make haste. Crispin grabs his little, little satchel bag, whatever he carries, and heads in through the back door to meet up with the rest of the group. I tried to say crew and group at the same time. <laughs> yes, I heard that. I heard it. We're the crew now, baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll ask you guys now, is there any last business you want to do? You still have this guy tied up in here. Um, Dance will explain. She, she told the town about him. She told, like, because she went yeah, met I, with the actual owners. I, yeah, I think we established yeah. that we're just going to leave him. Okay. And leave him to the townsfolk. <laughs> we'll wash our hands of it. Yeah. So he just he yeah. just kind of watches on, tied to his chair as you grab all your belongings. I think uh, as we as we start to leave, Jules looks at him and says, stay. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, uh, to just kind of be fair, I think... 
I think they're giving him water and food and things as they see fit. You know, yeah. we're not yeah. like, we're not just like hogtying this guy and torturing him <laughs> and letting him sit there. <laughs> I think they're doing their best to treat him humanely. Yes. All right. With that, he watches you all move out the door, the saloon doors. I love doing that. Uh, just close behind you. <laughs> the more you do it, the more open. I have to make a sound effect for he's, it. He's got the hand motion, too. I'm doing the hand th- I love it. I love saloon doors. They're so cool. There's going to be so many saloon doors in this podcast. There already have been a lot. You know what, more and more you know and what more people more. love, like when I throw up like reels or stories on whatever, is your hand motions. I can't. I just do weird hand It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It, it really pulls me into the scene. <laughs> uh cool i tell you guys hit the road yeah i think so off to the ruiz senor peaks oh yeah right yes yeah so first things first the way the first place you were thinking of going was there's a farmhouse at the base of them where arhalon believes miskin was last sighted right. where the entire family was killed that little yellow dot at the, the little yellow the dot base of the peaks that is approximately 10 miles away um so around 3.5 hours of travel we'll say you're leaving here around maybe 5 36 o'clock, so you'd probably get there around, we'll just say it, we'll just call it 9 30. I think I'm gonna keep my wild shape. Okay. Yeah, I mean, emergency use, you know? Yeah. I feel like we're, we're on have two right now. And Arhalan can't ride you. He can fly, but he can't ride you. Sure, sure. <laughs> yes, that'd be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So, I, I mean, like, we're just heading out. Yeah, heading out. So you press out into the desert into the borderlands again, leaving the town behind you. I think as we move away, the last thing we see is the camera sort of pans back down slowly to the Bukiria, down the roof, down the wall, down towards these two structures, these two ofrendas. And we're out in the borderlands. You guys are moving, passing wastelands of cacti, mountains off in the distance. Um, It's a hot day. It's a long day. You travel for three and a half hours, and they are not irremarkable three and a half hours. And towards the end of your travel, you start to see there's farmlands growing. Right at the base of the of the mountain peaks, you get closer and closer to the dominating mountain spine that just sort of juts up and travels far to the north. You can see it. it's intimidating. You start to see greenery. Perhaps a good sort of groundwater source coming off the mountains and feeding the lands around. The soil here is good. Not arid and dry like the rest. You can see, like, a number of large farms. Arhalan leads you past the first few. I have spoken with them already. If you have something to ask, we can stop. But I suggest we reach the farmhouse in question, the first one. The, the first one, uh, I should read the first one, coming from the other direction from Hollow. Yeah, I think I think Crispin's okay to keep going to... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think at this point, too, Jules is Jules is following Arhalan. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah, I think, I think Arhalan's the leader right now. Okay. Yeah, he's kind of in the air flying above you, kind of keeping an eye. You can see sort of people sort of cowering in homes, peeking out and watching as you guys are moving as Arhalan's scowl is dominating the sky as you press from home, farm, you know, farmland, to the next, to the next, and to the last. Jules, I, I don't know what we're going to find here. I, I don't know this boy, not, not the way you do. I... I had this feeling, this premonition. Is is it impossible that Miskin's with family? Have we established if if Jules knows Miskin's entire history? 
Uh, yeah, after torturing him for a good while, uh, you did. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, no. Great start to a friendship. <laughs> uh, he actually would have opened up at some point and told you. Okay. All I know about Miskin is he did have parents. They were minors, both uh, one, you know, one orc, one human. Um, the father was a human, mother was the orc. They worked together in the mines. They died. Mining accident, whole shaft sort of caved in on them. Um, they are most definitely dead, and that's all the family he has. It's not impossible that he would be with his kind, uh, but but he'd let me know. I, I, I don't want to upset you. I just, maybe it's nothing. I, I don't know. I can't quite figure it out yet. He'll show me the way. Arhalan is flying up, circling around the back of this house in the sky and guiding you all towards it. You've seen this farmhouse looks like any of the other ones. It doesn't look destroyed, doesn't look harmed. Livestock are, it looks like they're actually also livestock in the field, still like munching on grass, haven't really been claimed by anybody quite yet. It should hopefully happen soon. But from a distance, it looks like nothing's wrong. Just beautiful fields, bountiful vegetation. The, at the right at the foot of these mountains, which you can see are also covered in such such vegetation in various spots and places. You know, trees growing, vines hanging um, as they snake away from the deserts. Can Jules roll investigation? This is a role play episode. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you guys want to investigate the, the whole scene, please. Yeah, I'll roll. And we'll say this investigation just kind of in, to, to on, on the whole. So I'll say this is like you guys follow Arlan's lead. You can move in, investigate whatever you want to investigate here because yeah. Arlan may have missed stuff. Um, yeah. In, instead of instead of investigation, Crispin's going to look more for like a presence, like to see if there are people here or if he can hear anything. Uh, I'd rather roll with perception. Okay. I also allow survival if you have it. 14 perception. Okay. All right, would it be better for Jules to do perception or an investigation? I guess it depends on what you're looking for. You also might get different things based on what you roll. Can I roll both? Yes. Okay. In fact, I actually recommend, Crispin, you roll survival as well. Okay. All right. So, investigation. Okay. There's a 13. Okay. This dice hard to read, but it's a 13 okay. for survival. And perception is an 8. Okay. Damn. Not great. So what I'm going to do with all this is your perception will let you see things like tracks, signs, things like that. Your survival would let you glean more information from them. Your survival rules were not huge, so I'm not going to give you a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, so let's resolve. Your investigation was what now? Uh, shit. Thirteen? Okay. Thirteen? Yeah. Thirteen, okay. All right, with a thirteen, as you move through the farmhouse, um, you notice things in Ar Arhalan notice. There's an eighth plate. Um... Okay, you wouldn't. There's one thing you would not see, regardless. But I want you to roll the die one more time for something else because you're gonna have advantage on a certain thing. Okay. Okay. Sixteen. With a sixteen, you're moving through the house, and it's very faint. It's tucked down into a corner of one of the rooms, um, but you see like low down a wall, there's a small carving. Looks like two sort of circles connected with a little triangle, sort of connecting stem, a cherry with a stem. It's a sign that Miskin has left you before, as we said, in the streets when he was uh, when he was taken. And you know it's a sign from Miskin. He was here. He was here. If there's a sign here, there may be more signs leading away. Guys, he was here. Come here. 
who all kind of see that. Arhalan um, kind of notes it, nods very well. Let me show you the back where I found the bodies. There may be more to find there. And that's where your perceptions are coming, Crispin. Okay. Arhalan takes you all out back, and you see, like, there are seven fresh graves and somewhere, like, in the middle of all of them, there's, like, in the middle of this sort of circle of graves, there is a spot of, it looks like, sort of darker brown, you know, on, on the grass and dirt. Just a lot of blood. Hmm. A pool of it that has kind of been sucked mostly into the earth, but some still lingering, remaining. So, anything. I, I can't make much out on it. And I will say that with your perception, Crispin... You notice that there are tracks leading away from this spot. Mm-hmm. Looks like larger tracks and maybe even a set of smaller footprints. Something, something's a little off about them, but you, that survival doesn't give you any more information on what's going on with those small tracks. Can we, like, can Crispin, like, take 20? On this, I'll say no. Okay. It's more of a logic sort of deducing what this sure. means. But you see this trail does go northwards into the mountains. And again, with that survival, you don't know how old this is, but based on what Arhalan had said, it may have been it's at least two days now that this mm-hmm. has happened. You also see, with your perception, another kind of weird, interesting thing. These tracks lead sort of... They're, they're, they're close to this, the, yes, to the bloodstain, but they're not directly on the bloodstain. They're almost like if you move up like a 10, 15 feet away from it, that's where the tracks sort of come in, like something moved in from here and then moved out from there. But there are no tracks around the bloodstains. No indents of these large, giant feet. So, like, they, so they didn't bleed. That or somehow when they died, there was no tracks left around their bodies. And I will say, Jules, if you sort of follow Crispin, sort of, you know, he points these out and you're following them up, you do see, as you're kind of honed into this now, a small hairy sort of carved into the dirt on the ground or there's like some handprints where like someone fell and very quickly scribbled a cherry into the ground before they stood up and kept walking he was with them he went this way I see so he's in the mountains then as I feared the Ettins have taken him well I guess we uh, I guess we better give chase I am not stopping until we find him then let's go Narhalon just, with one mighty flap, takes the skies and begins to shoot over you, over the trees, and sort of up the mountainside. That take you guys follow? Absolutely. Yep. Let's go to the mountains. Here we see Crispin, Dance, and Jules all together, pushing away from this solitary farmhouse, stains of blood and tragedy behind, into the mountains where perhaps... More tragedy awaits. And we'll call it there. 